Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Well, good morning, Centerpoint. Glad to be with you wherever you're at. You're on lawns places. You're in your living room. You're on your phone. Hopefully, you're not in the bathroom on your phone because that's a little weird that I'm joining you in there. But hey, my name is Justin. I'm the Next Gen Pastor, and I am glad that you are joining us today for our online service. Um, and I was thinking about this a little bit this week is that you have it so much easier than I do, to be honest. And not just the speaking thing, but like, y'all, I had to shower today and get dressed, and I got to be on the camera which you know they always say the camera adds 10 pounds. Um, So I was going to ask our camera operator, could you make sure the 10 pounds doesn't end up here and ends up like up here maybe, over on this side maybe, uh, maybe back here, just not that high. But hey, we're going to have a good time in church no matter where you're at, no matter how we are meeting and coming together. We are always going to have a good time in church. So I hope you're ready for that. I want to tell you one quick thing um, before we jump into part two of this. This is what we do is uh, make sure if you have kids that are preschool or elementary, you get them plugged into CC Kids even through this time of online services. Our next gen team has been working really hard. My wife, Rachel, has been killing it uh, with our social media presence. And what we're doing today, we're going to do this as many Sundays as we can. We're going to buy you pizza if you do CC Kids stuff and tag us in stuff. And here's what we'll do. You do the videos with your preschool kids. uh, You do the videos with your elementary kids. You do the worship, so have a blast with it. And then post pictures and stories and tag us, tag uh, CC Kids, not Centerpoint Church. You can tag them too, but make sure you tag CC Kids FL on Instagram and Facebook. And we're going to pick one family from today's post and buy you pizza tonight for dinner. It will show up at your house nice and ready. We'll message you, get all the details. But make sure if you want dinner on us, uh, which I would want dinner on us, uh, you take pictures and post things and let us know uh, how you would like your pizza and then we'll pick one family from the things that you post and say, hey, this is who's going to get dinner for us. Now, we're we're jumping into part two of This Is What We Do, and and we talked about this just a little bit last week, and if you weren't with us last week, that's totally fine. No worries. We're not even necessarily building off of that, so you didn't miss much, although I would say uh, you probably should check it out just so you can know kind of who we are as a church and what we do as a church, especially if you're visiting or, or checking things out. But we talked about this idea real briefly last week is up here in our symbol even there's some some uh, math symbols and the addition and the multiplication symbols and the reason we have those is because we believe when we do something as Jesus followers coming together when we do things and we add what we have God will multiply it and God will do even more than what we might plan for or think about. And as you even heard a few minutes ago, our lead pastor, Bryant, was talking about how last weekend we reached more people than we ever have on a weekend. We had more people tune in and check out Centerpoint than we've ever had on a weekend. And that's because we have a crew of people, our production team, our worship team, all sorts of people, our staff team. 
who are coming and we're adding something. We're adding our small part and then God does something and multiplies it in a massive way. And honestly, that's just what we do at Centerpoint. We just step up and we just do what we should do and trust God to handle the rest. And, and today what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of scripture uh, that might seem kind of weird uh, in terms of what's going on right now with the world and what, what's going on right now in our, even with our church and, and our church as in our local gathering, but also the church as in everyone who claims the name of Jesus. That's when we talk about like the big C church or the capital C church. That would be anyone and everyone who claims the name of Jesus and follows Jesus, but also the churches is manifested in local gatherings like Centerpoint. And it's, it's kind of funny to me, as I was preparing for this a couple weeks ago and thinking about what do we do as a church, this passage came to mind. I believe God was telling me, hey, this is what you got to talk about. And it might seem kind of weird based on where we're at. Let me read it for you. We're going to have it on the screen here, and you might see why it could be kind of weird. Um, but then we're going to explain it. And I think, honestly, it's really, really fitting for today. Like, I could not have even picked that this would be as appropriate for today if I, if I changed my passage, and I didn't. This was several weeks ago, and this is what it says in Hebrews. And I tell you, if you have a Bible, follow along on the Bible. Again, we'll have it right here on the screen where you can check it out. But be taking notes because if you're like me, taking notes and reading things for myself help me remember it more. And I think uh, something today will be good for you to remember even as we're going through life right now. This is what Hebrew says. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now you might say like that, that seems kind of funny. And if we're honest about it, like it's a little bit awkward even, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're like gathering with some people and you have your nine people with you. So you have your 10 people limit and you're meeting together, right? But for a lot of us, like we read this passage and maybe it seems kind of weird to talk about meeting when we're not even meeting. But before we even get to the meeting, we got to start where this passage starts. And it starts up here. It says, and let us hold unsurvingly to the, what's this word, church? Man, for real, even online, there's only like three of you that talk back. Come on, people. Let us hold unsurvingly to the hope that we profess. See, it starts with hope. But the reality is the, the power my hope has in my life is based on the object that I have hope in. Now, for some of us, to, to make it simple for a lot of us, because I need things simple, is like your car. Chances are uh, you have a car that starts every time you get in it, whether you put your key and you push the button or you turn the key and like, you get in. And there's a degree you probably don't even think about it at, right now because it's so reliable, but there's a degree that you hope your car starts every time you get in it. And you know that because when your car doesn't start, you begin getting in there, crossing your fingers, making sure you got your things on the dashboard, doing all sorts of weird juju stuff to hope that your car starts. Like some of us have been there, right? And you're like, man, I really hope that it starts today. But if your car is broken, your car is not reliable, the hope doesn't really matter at all. Because the object of your hope is not reliable. But also if you're like most of us, our cars start every time we get in it, we don't think too much about the hope that we have because the object is reliable. And here's the reality. Scripture is teaching us right through this passage that we have hope, we profess to have hope, but we have hope in a person, not just an idea. And we believe that the person that we have hope in is powerful and that's why we have hope. But even here's the reality. For some of us right now, we're scared. Like you're... 
you're freaking out a little bit. Like all of us have been there. Even this past week, I was there a little bit. I got bit by the bug a little bit. Uh, poor choice of words probably, but like the fear bug, not the corona, whatever, right? So, so I get a little bit afraid and I was talking to someone and they were like, they're whispering like, hey, did you hear about such and such a thing? And like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't heard about such and such a thing. And like, I got scared a little bit. I get home and I'm like, Rachel, like such and such a thing's gonna happen. Like we need to go shopping and we need to go to the store. And I'm out, went to four different stores in one afternoon just to buy stuff because I was getting afraid, right? How many of you have been there right now? You're thinking about the things you don't have and you're planning your shopping trip and you're going to buy all the toilet paper in the world. Now, now here, here's the reality. Having hope does not mean I don't have fear. Having hope means I'm doing whatever I can to not be controlled by my fear. Now, for some of us, that's a lot of work for us. Even we have friends of ours, even people in our community, we're texting back and forth trying to connect. And this is why times like this, you need to have community where we're sharing about how, man, I'm, I'm nervous about this thing. I'm scared about this thing. We're praying for each other. We're reaching out. You have people in your family. It's like I have people in my family that people are losing their jobs. It is scary, but here's the reality. We as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, our hope is not in today. Our hope isn't even in God's provision. Our hope is in God. And this passage says that we hold to the hope that we profess, means to talk about it, but you can't profess what you don't possess. And if I can be real with you and if I can pastor you in a moment, pastoring is is the terminology like a shepherd, right? And sometimes a shepherd leads the sheep, sometimes a shepherd kind of kicks them to get them going in the right direction. What I just tell you to do, I won't kick you, I promise. Some of you, if I can just be real with you, you need to turn off the news and you need to spend more time on your knees. And you need to be praying and asking God, not even for provision of toilet paper and food and all the things, but to do something in your heart where you're not being driven by fear anymore. And again, fear is not a bad thing, right? Like I want my kids to be afraid of fire. I want my kids to be afraid of the street because those things will hurt them. But here's the reality. We got to get to the place where we have hope in us and I'm stuffing hope in me and I'm possessing hope regularly so then I can go and profess hope when times are tough, when things are going difficult. And here's the reality also, as a church, we don't simply have hope. As a church, I believe we are the hope of the world. See, Jesus instituted the church and he said, this is my plan A, my chief primary vehicle for taking and bringing hope to all of the world. He entrusted his message to faithful messengers, which created a movement in the world all across the world. So we don't simply have hope. We are the hope. And because we have hope, we should do things. Because we talked about this before, We do what we do based on what we value. So because I have hope, that dictates that I act. And what we should do specifically, this passage lays out a few things. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, towards doing stuff. And then this is the awkward part, right? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now again, some of you have a hard time with that passage because you've heard this verse in particular even talked about meeting is the primary focus here. 
And this is like, hey, get out, highlight that, underline it, circle it, put an asterisk around it. Like, like focus everything on me. You gotta be here. Some of you, this was your church background. This is my church background back in the day. Like you gotta be here Sunday morning for Sunday school. You gotta be here for Sunday service. You gotta hang out afterwards. You gotta come back for Sunday night church. You gotta be here on Tuesday when we have our prayer gathering. You gotta be here on Wednesday when we have our kids and student ministries. You gotta go on Thursdays on visitation, go out and meeting people. And then you gotta come back here and be here on Sunday to do all again, right? How many of you, that was your church background? A bunch of you, right? Again, I'm just going to assume it's everybody all the time. You're laughing at all my jokes. You're responding to everything I got, man. Some of you are standing up, spinning around in circles because this has been so good for you. But here's the reality. I think that we do disservice to this passage when we focus only on meeting. Because I don't think that's, that's the whole point here. See, and this is something that we do. And this is, if, if I could get you to remember one thing from this time today, one thing from this talk is that the focus is not just on me. And we as a gathering, this is one of the things that we do. We do not simply meet as a community. We meet the needs of our community. We don't simply meet as a community and gather up. We scatter out and we go out and meet the needs of our community. And this is where you see here, it says, pushing each other on, spur each other on. I told you, talked to you about how shepherds will lead the sheep or push the sheep. This isn't just for a pastor. This is for everyone in our church. We should push each other towards two things, love and good deeds. Seeing people and valuing people the way God has valued us and the way God values them and then caring enough about them to go out and do stuff and add action to what I say I believe. And here's the reality. Jesus' message of hope did not spread throughout the entire world because people met in buildings and gathered together. It spread because the people that met went out to meet the needs of their communities. But somewhere along the line, we shifted. See, it was a movement that was going out all over the place. It could not be stopped. And somewhere it changed from being a movement to attending a movement. And really to understand that we have to, we have to go in and look at some of the original languages that were, were written and the scriptures were written. And now uh, for some of you, uh, you love like the Greek and the Hebrew. This is how the scriptures were written. Like primarily the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and then the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, and excuse me, uh, you, you love studying that. And this is what I'd say. Some of you are so confused about the Bible because you read different English translations and you're not sure what they mean. And here's, here's what you have to do. When you're confused about the English translation, you need to go back to the original language. Just like if you bought something online and it came from a different country and the instructions were in that country's language, like you would need to translate that and, and how you translated it would determine what the English said about that. So if, you, if we could put a passage of scripture here from earlier, like the Hebrews, you'll see a lot of times what we do is down here in the bottom, this is where you can find it in your Bible, right? And then over here, it says NIV, right? And that stands for New International Version. And that is a translation from the original Greek, from the original Hebrew, right? There's several different translations. There's like dozens of them, actually. Some, I would say, some are better than others. When I study a passage, especially if I'm doing a talk like this, I'll study three, four, five, maybe, just to get a different idea of what it means. Because in, in Greek, like this passage is written in Greek, uh, a word might not mean just one thing. Okay, like in English, we say love, and we'll say like, man, I love cheeseburgers, and I love my wife, and I love my car. And we know like that word love doesn't mean the same thing, but in English, that's the only word we have. 
But in the original languages, there were multiple words that meant different things. Like there were at least three words for love in the Greek language. So depending on how you loved something would be dependent on the word that you use. And can I just be real with you too? Some of you, this is an area where you have a hard time following Jesus and you have a hard time engaging with church because you've gotten confused and you feel like there's contradictions in scripture because you read one translation and it says this, and you read a different translation, it says something a little different and like which one's right. What I tell you is you gotta go back to the Greek, go back to the Hebrew. Now, I personally, I don't, talk a whole lot about it whenever I speak because uh, I heard it this when I think it's a good way to put it like the Greek and the Hebrew should be like underwear like it should give you support but no one needs to see it all the time okay uh, here's the deal y'all that's good okay can I tell you that's good it's not original with me but you can laugh about that some of you are like wait oh my goodness some of you need to get better underwear but here's the deal if you go back to the original Greek this there's a word called ekklesia y'all can say this with me ekklesia Right, and what this word means, this is like the movement of God. When you see in the scriptures, they're talking about the church, the gathering, the movement. It's this word, ekklesia in Greek, and it literally means a gathering of people, an assembly, a movement. And it's called out once. It's these two words, called and out. So you're calling out, you're gathering out to something. And you see this all over the scriptures. And, and this isn't like a church word. You had ecclesias in all the different areas. It could be like a political thing. It could be an entertainment thing. Like people were called out and whatever they were called out to is what unified them. And for the first 300 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church was the ecclesia. It was a movement going out in cities and changing all sorts of things, flipping cities on their heads, meeting all kinds of needs, doing incredible things. For 300 years, it was a movement. And then in 313 AD, this, this guy, emperor of Rome, Constantine, legalized the freedom of religion in Rome. See, and up until this point, you had little to no earthly reason to follow Jesus. Like you didn't get anything better. You didn't get more wealth. You didn't get no sickness. You didn't have your crops blessed all the time. Like there was literally the, the only promise was a future inheritance in heaven with Jesus in a relationship with God. Right? There's no tax write-offs. There was nothing. And actually, there's a lot of persecution and oppression to Christians, particularly in Rome, because Jews, uh, not Jews, sorry, the movement of Jesus, who was a lot of Jews, but also Gentiles, they came and they said, hey, the emperor, uh, Caesar, he's actually not our God and he's not our king. Jesus is our God and king. So they had a horrible time in Rome. And then 313 AD, uh, Constantine legalizes the freedom of religion and says, hey, everyone can be whatever they want to be, which is a good thing, I think. Even we have that here in in this country, like it's a good thing to have freedom of religion, but then everything changed when that happened. And then a few years later, Constantine came out and said, hey, now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I follow the way. And then what happens is the movement of God, the ecclesia went from moving all throughout the cities, all throughout countries, all throughout areas and continents. And then it, it shifted because now it's not an underground movement anymore that's meeting all over the place and scattering and meeting the needs. Now it's kind of popular, it's kind of cool. So in Rome, after Constantine said he's a believer, he's a follower of Jesus, a bunch of other high-ranking officials and high-to-do people in Rome started saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus too. And here's the reality. I don't know if they were or not. And it's not up for me to know or not. Some of us, honestly, if, if we're real about it, like we need to stop worrying if other people are followers and focus on us following well. 
Uh, we just need to walk it out and live it out. And you know what? Jesus is gonna do with them. Jesus is gonna do with them. Jesus is gonna do with me. I'm not the judge. I'm not the one who gets to decide who gets to go to heaven, who doesn't go to heaven. That's left up to the king who's Jesus. But something massive changed in the movement and even to the core of how they talked about it. Because up until that point, it was an ecclesia, and then they changed it to this Latin word called basilica. And basilica literally means a building, a gathering place. And what happened is all these Roman officials, all these people were like, man, well, we can't just meet in people's houses. We can't just have this like movement underground. We need to establish ourselves in the city. We need to establish ourselves as a power in the city. So they start meeting and they're kind of bringing in, honestly, a lot of their pagan practices, a lot of, a lot of things that they're doing just to, to make it more normal of what they're doing. And they start gathering, they start having some power and authority and influence in the church. And it's, ever, it's been different forever now. Because a lot of us, even when we think about church, we think about a building, a basilica. We don't think about a movement. And the church got power, and then they kept power, and even things for hundreds of years, like they kept the scriptures in Latin so that common people couldn't understand it. And this is what I'd say. This is why we, we try to teach in a way that everyone can understand because I believe Jesus taught in a way so that everyone can understand. And when I start saying you have to have me to access God, I'm putting myself in the way of God. And this is where the, the church, the basilica became very powerful and honestly very hurtful to people who were seeking God. And then it was about 1500 AD, these guys who we now refer to them as the reformers like John Wycliffe and, and Martin Luther, these guys went and they were translating the Bible, the scriptures from Latin saying, hey, we need to put it in a common language so everyone can understand. And as they're translating things, they come to this word basilica, which they are looking to the Greek and say, hey, this is actually ecclesia. And they chose not to translate the word, the movement, they chose to replace the word with kersha, which is a German word again for gathering again for place and we've been dealing with the repercussions of this translation error for hundreds of years since then I want to say is I, like, like I'm not down on churches. Like, like I'm not down on Constantine. I'm not trying to speak negatively. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of we were a movement. Who we met together to meet the needs of each other and to go out to meet the needs of our community. But somewhere we stopped being a movement and we started simply attending a meeting. And this is one of the things that we do at Centerpoint. This is just what we do because we value our communities. We don't simply meet as a community. We meet the needs of our community. It's just what we do. And what I'd say also for, for some of us, uh, you're kind of wrestling with this because like, should we have buildings? Like, should we have these, these massive campuses? And, and should we build? And, and here's the reality. Buildings are not bad. Like gathering together is not bad. Some of you, like maybe you've been in this or you've heard this, like we just need to get back to the way things were in the early church. And honestly, nobody really wants that. Like you don't want to lose all your work because you're a follower of Jesus. You don't want to be thrown into uh, arenas with lions and be torn apart. You don't want to be dipped in pitch and lit on fire to illuminate the gardens of Caesar. Like, you don't want the early church. What you think you want is meeting in people's homes, which we do that called our community groups. And here's the reality, in our context, even some of you right now, the reason that you're watching this is because if you wanna go learn about God, you wanna go experience God, you wanna go uh, investigate faith, you go to a service that's typically on a Sunday morning. 
There's nothing wrong with meetings. Even some of, some of us, we, we get bigger and bigger and you feel like there's something wrong with being bigger and bigger. And here's the reality. There's nothing wrong with being bigger and bigger. And again, you don't know, I, I love you, I care about you, but like look through Acts chapter one. There's 120 people in the early church. That's the smallest the church has ever been. Because then Peter gets up and speaks a message and literally thousands of people follow Jesus. And they didn't have buildings because they didn't have money for buildings. And I understand we want organic church, but you know how much work it takes to have something that's organic? Like you buy those organic apples, there's not some dude walking around in the woods looking for organic apples. And he stumbles upon like, oh my, these organic apples, let me pick these and put these in a bag and go sell them at the store. There are fields of this incredible amount of organization in order to make something organic. So organization is not bad and gatherings are not bad. But we have to remember, we are not simply to gather. We as a believers and a, as a group of followers of Jesus are to scatter into our community and meet needs. And it's simply what we do. We have to remember though, we are an ecclesia. We are a called out group. But what are we called out from and what are we called out to? I'm so glad that you asked. This is what Peter said, which Peter was one of the the closest followers of Jesus. And this is what I'd say. The fact that Peter was not a bigger deal in the early church shows us that Peter understood something about Jesus' teaching. Because Peter, in all intents and purposes, was a number two guy. And if he wanted to make it all about him, he totally could, but he didn't. That's actually when the Basilica came in, they made it all about the early fathers. But you can look up that stuff. Check it out on Wikipedia. You got all the time in the world today. Check this out. This is what Peter said. He said, you're a chosen people. This is talking about the ecclesia, the called out ones. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is again where you see Peter understood something about Jesus' teaching in the fact that he's telling all the followers, all the believers, hey, you are a royal priesthood. You are special to God. You are valuable to God. And because you are valuable to God, you have a place with God. How good is that to hear right now? Some of us, again, like we're kind of scared. We're kind of freaking out. We're unsure about the future. And we have to remember what God has called us out of, what God has called us to, but also what Peter is telling us that God says when he looks at us, that we're royal, we're chosen, we're valuable, we're his possession. And we're called out of darkness into light. We don't have to worry about the things that are happening in the world all around us. We don't have to be controlled by fear. We can slow down, take a breath, and say, I'm gonna shine like the light of the universe right now in the midst of this difficulty. Because I'm not just here to meet together. I'm here to meet the needs of our community. And let's be real. Is there a better time in your lifetime that the church could shine Here's the reality. The church, we will not shine if we hoard and care about only ourselves. Because the movement of Jesus is not marked by hoarding things. It's marked by helping people. And this is why if I could just be straight up with you, and we have a lot of real talk today, okay? I feel like probably because I'm in your living room, like we're really comfy, comfy together. Um, Hopefully you're wearing pants and appropriate clothes and I'm there with you and we're having a good time. We're talking about stuff. If not... I mean, you could pause this or you could turn it off or you could change to, I don't know, whatever, because everything's shut down in the world right now. So you got nothing better to do, okay? But here's the reality. Some of us, we just need to get out and go on a walk. 
and you just need to walk around your neighborhood and you just need to see things are not as crazy as it seems like they are when you go on TV. Like you just need to walk around and you need to go like, like my neighbors, right? And we're going on a walk around the neighborhood, just trying to connect. I go over to my neighbor across the street. I say, hey man, if you need anything, he's like, oh man. He's like, don't worry about me. He's like showing me in his cabinets. He's like, man, I got stocked of toilet paper for days. I got water, I got food, I got all sorts of things. I won't tell you his address because you probably would gather there to take all his stuff from him. But here's the reality. I get it. It's easy to be afraid, but we're not called to be fearful. We're called to be a light. And fear, let's be honest too, fear makes us so crazy, doesn't it? Like this is where like you're going around the store like I was on, on the Friday afternoon. And, and one thing I was trying to do is I'm whistling Beatles songs to myself as I'm going through Walmart. Cause I'm like, I just need to like, know like everything's gonna be all right. Like, I mean, that's Bob Marley, but like I could whistle that one. Or like, man, things are gonna go on and on. Like it's okay, things are okay. But here's what happens. You start doing crazy things when you're driven by fear and you're walking down the peanut butter aisle and you see there's only two cans of peanut butter left. And you know, you don't need peanut butter. And there's only two left and you know, like, it's not the good stuff. Like, it's not like chunky, it's junky peanut butter. You're like, this is nasty. I don't know what's in this. Like you're buying gluten-free bread and you don't have a gluten intolerance. Like you will freak out. And what happens is you don't need either of those, but you start buying those things. You start taking things, you start hoarding things and you're acting like you're still living in darkness. I'm acting like I don't have the hope that's found in Jesus. And this is, let me just tell you too, this is the, easiest time to shine like a light because you just don't got to be crazy you just be level-headed with things and people are gonna say man you have something that's different and then you have an opportunity to go out and meet the needs of the community again this is what we do as a church we don't simply gather to meet as a community we meet the needs of our community and we push each other towards love and good deeds this is why we do things like meet as community groups this is why we're highlighting groups almost every single weekend here at Center Point. So we have a group uh, led by a guy named Gus. If you've been here on the weekend, you have seen Gus. He's at the door welcoming people, hugging people, punching people. Like only people he knows though, okay? He punches me because he knows me. If you're coming to church in a couple weeks, we're back. Don't be worried. He's not gonna hurt you, okay? But Gus leads a men's group that meets on, on Monday nights at the church. And even a lot of our groups, we're meeting virtually. We're doing things like Zoom calls and Facebook Messenger and all sorts of ways so we can stay connected. But Gus leads a men's group. And here's reality. The men's group, they meet with each other to push each other to meet the needs of each other. They're not just getting to, to shoot the breeze and to hang out. They're meeting together to push each other to meet the needs of each other. They're trying to love their community by gathering together. And you should be in a group. You got to get in a group because again, when things happen, you need people around you that value similar things as you that can help you doing, keep you doing the things that you value because it's just what we do. So you need to get into a group. Now here, here's the deal too. Even you read through this, you hear like the, the language of called out and being called out. It's like a proactive. It's not like, hey, you are chosen to sit down and lay down. Like you are called, you need to be active and being proactive and active is one of the most powerful things we can do. It will change your life when you can be proactive. This guy, uh, Stephen Covey, he wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits he has is that you are proactive. You wanna be effective in life, you can be proactive. And he talks about two circles, all right? So you can see this right here. So this is circle number one. 
Now, um, I have another calling in my life as a doctor. So if you can't read my handwriting, just think about that. It means I'm really smart or really educated or paid really well. Uh, I'm going to do my best to write nice and slow and spell it all right. Okay, so y'all can see that. Okay, so the first circle he talks about in being proactive is you have a circle of concern. Every single one of us has this. These are things that you're, you're worried about. These are things that you're unsure about. This is like your GPA. This is you get into the school you want to get into. This is you making a team. This is your marriage, your relationships. This is your future investments. A lot of us right now, we're concerned about coronavirus and COVID-19. Like, like we're unsure about so many things. And we are concerned about everything in life. And here's the reality. All of us have things we're concerned about. Man, I'm concerned. Like, I don't want to break my kids. The problem with kids is you don't know you broke them until years later. Right? Like you have things that you were concerned about, but that's only one of the circles. And it's a big circle. And for a lot of us, we have a massive circle of concern. We're worried about everything in the world. But then what, what Covey talks about is he says, there's a smaller circle within that. I'm just gonna put an I here. And that's our circle of influence, things that we can actually do. All right, so out here, you're concerned about your GPA. You can't necessarily control your GPA, but you can influence your study habits. You can actually look at the next few weeks as like not time off from school, but a chance to get refocus on school and do your work at home, right? Some of you, you're concerned about your financial state, but you can't change everything with your concern, but you can invest well. You can focus on living on less than you make. You can focus on handling your, your money in a way that's wise and making the right choices. Some of you, your relationship, come on, some of y'all right now, you are sitting in a marriage that you are concerned about. You are worried that things are heading in an area that you cannot fix them. And when I tell you, if you are concerned about it, you need to talk to somebody about it because you're already years possibly down the road of heading right towards the divorce. And you can change that if you focus on your, your influence, what you can do. And here's the thing that's crazy. Steve McCovey talks about this, is when you focus on your concern, your circle of influence gets smaller and smaller because you're not able to do things. You're not focused on the things that you can do, so the things that you do actually dry up. But if you focus on your circle of influence, you'll see, and some of you, you've seen this in your life, your circle of influence actually grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And here's the reality, if we can just be real, real about the church in our lives, we need to stop focusing on things that we're simply concerned about. We need to focus on things that we can influence. And for too long, the church has been known by who we are against and what we are against and not who we are for and what we are for. And I think it's because the church, the movement of God stopped being a movement and began focusing on meetings and wanted to preserve our meetings and not care so much about our movement and meeting people's needs. And when we can focus on our influence, it will get bigger and bigger. So my question for you, even as we begin to close is who is in your circle of influence. Not what, because again, we are creating a movement of God in our city that is here to tear away every unnecessary barrier for people to find life and freedom in Jesus. It's not about what is in your circle of influence, it's about who is in your circle of influence. This is why my wife and I and our kids, we go on walks. 
because we want to meet our neighbors. We want to connect with them. Even last night, we had a neighbor a couple of doors down. They came by, and it's so cool. They just dropped off a little pint of ice cream, and they're like, hey, right now, things are crazy, and we just want to cheer you guys up and just talk for a minute. And we just begin talking with them, and what are we doing mutually? We're building a, a, a relationship where we can influence each other and help each other because you can't really help people you don't have influence over. So again, it's not what is in your circle, it's who is in your circle. And then the second question, and this is so, so simple, don't miss it. Whose needs are you able to meet? The reality is you can't meet everyone's needs, but you can meet someone's needs. You can't reach everyone in your, in your neighborhood or on your block or on your street, but you can reach someone and don't let the fear of not being able to do for everyone stop you from doing something for one person. Simple needs. Even right now, again, how easy is it to go to the store and pick up something for somebody else? How easy is it just to sit and talk and just hear someone talk about how they are fearful and say, I am afraid too. Again, fear is not wrong, but I am holding on to something greater than fear. Now, the reality is in our church, in our movement, in our gathering, we have needs all over the place. We talked about this last week is, is we're looking for a hundred people to step up and say, hey, I want to serve because I want to make a difference and reach this city because I really believe when we get to come back together, this thing is going to blow up. Three services will not be enough. I think it's going to be incredibly uh, powerful in our movement, in our city. But here's the reality. We need a hundred people here for you to step up and sign up. But the truth is you probably don't need a hundred people in your neighborhood. Your neighborhood probably just needs you. So would you step up and reach out and let people know you're willing to help meet needs? This is something we have really practically on our website. This is some of our staff's idea. We have a SOS page on the landing page of our websites, centerpointfl.org. You can go there. You can submit a need. If you have something that you need taken care of for you, we will let our gathering know. And we want to meet needs because Jesus has met our needs in a really practical, tangible way. We want to help people because Jesus helped us. And this is what I would want to encourage you, push you towards, help you do is take one step and go and figure out who is in my circle of influence and what need can I meet? And we, as a movement of Jesus, we meet people's needs because Jesus has met our needs. See, you might not even realize this, but, but you and I, we are broken individuals where we can't fix ourselves. And Jesus came to fix everything, to restore everything back to himself and to correct every wrong in the world. And I believe he actually did that. And not only did he have an action that happened thousands of years ago, but he, begin, he continues to act in my life and through me when I say yes to him and when I trust him. So some of you, even right now, you're sitting in the living room, you're out in the yard, you're watching your phone, you're listening, maybe your podcasting is later. You've never understood that Jesus has met your needs. And if we're honest too, you're having a hard time trusting Jesus because you feel like he hasn't. And what I tell you is take one step towards Jesus. You can't take all the steps. You can't believe everything right now. You can't, I get all that. Like you can't do everything, but you can do something. Would you take one step towards Jesus and would you simply believe the best about God and say, God, I trust that you will restore everything. Even though I don't feel it right now, I trust you will meet my needs, that you have met my needs. 
And would you surrender even right now your fear to Jesus and say, you can have it. I'm not gonna hold on to fear. I'm gonna hold on to hope. And I'm gonna be light in the darkness. Would you pray with me all over the place, no matter where you're at? Prayer may be new to you. It's just our way of talking to God. And if you want to, you can bow your head. You can lift your hands. You can close your eyes. You can just sit there and watch. We're gonna talk to God because we believe that God is powerful and will use us and use this season to make a huge difference in our community. So let's pray for wisdom and courage to not simply be a church that meets, but to be a church that goes out and meets the needs of our community. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our gathering. God, even through this season, God, it seems like everything's going sideways. It seems like all the plans that we have aren't working out, but here's the deal. You are not surprised by this, and you have been preparing us for thousands of years to meet the needs of our community right now. God, your movement has been powerful and active, and right now we are asking for wisdom and courage to continue to be powerful and active in meeting the needs in our community right now now today. God, we ask for wisdom to see how we can help people and courage to step out and do what you're calling us to do. We love you and we are so thankful you've met our needs. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.